You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we promise to never deliver information in the form of a Disney parody song. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege. Hello, hello. William Green. Yeah, things are uh, things are going great this week. Um, lots of... Uh... Lots of fun uh, travel for me to New York City, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next section. Um, got to meet some of uh, the folks who are on my team for the first time in real life, which is always exciting. Um, and yeah, just uh, glad to be back in California. I don't know <laughs> who would say that statement. Why would you be glad well, to be back in California? Well, uh, you know, I've... Uh, went uh, surfing today so that's that's one good reason um also i think the wind is about 30 miles per hour less than new york city so and you know i have i have i have the dogs here in california so those are all, all things to miss california for <laughs> i guess we'll allow that especially because of what you're going to say about new york city yeah so do you want to get into it, it? Yeah, let's do it in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like a big sun, no, we just complaining. I hope that this mic is on. Cause I'm on a roll here. I hope this is making some sense. I hope that you throw up your hands and sing it and tell all the haters that they should just shut up and smile. Yeah. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. We accept any and all support, including affirmations, perhaps especially affirmations. Don't give me an affirmation. Thank you. So an affirmation is about 1000 us dollars. <laughs> well, and how much is 1000 us dollars worth, uh, in pre-inflation money, <laughs> like a dollar, oh, right? Man. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, William, you really want to try to talk about your New York City trip. And I want to hear what you have to say, because I find it very fascinating. You're not the only person I've heard make these kind of comments about New York City. So go ahead. Lay into the city. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I think I texted the uh, the show thread that New York City is dead. There's no soul left. And, uh, it's, it was very, very strange being in New York city and there's no people there. Um, now there, of course there's people there, but compared to pre COVID and the many times I've visited, visited, uh, the city, there's, there was just a, a ton of things that were so starkly different that, um, it just didn't feel like New York. Um, Things like, uh, you know, you should, if you walk through Times Square or various other parts of uh, Manhattan or I was over in uh, Hell's Kitchen, um, there's places where you usually, if you're going to walk, you had to kind of do your New York City walking, right? Be, be okay with kind of pushing your way through or, uh, heaven forbid, do not stop on the sidewalk. You will get trampled. Um, those sort of things. Uh, there's just, none of those people are around. Uh, a lot of, uh, the same number of homeless as you would expect. Uh, um, the other thing is you walk by and there's a ton of places that are just closed. Um, you know, it, there's, as far as I know, there's no more restrictions in New York city, but, uh, there's a ton of places that just are just no more. Um, walking by restaurants, there might be, you know, five or six people there during lunch. Um, 
things being closed during dinner. Um, a lot of places I can't imagine during the week being able to just find restaurants that are just available like that. Um, during like peak dinner times, it, it's just a thousand things like that, that all added up to like, what is the, this, the city is dead. And it's so strange. You know, there's always, every time you visit New York, something, there's something new to see, something new is going on, something has changed. And it's not that, uh, it's, I think just that style of living that the city had is just not there. Uh, I, so many people have left and so many businesses have closed that it it feels like a dead city. I don't know. What do you think about that, Justin? So you, the question I have is, you think it's completely that people have left? You don't think it's that people are just staying indoors? I think it's that people have left. Um, but, you know, I was only there a week. So uh, that may be more a feeling than an actual truth. Yeah, it's... It's interesting because the way you describe it in your your conclusion, which I accept could completely be true, would lead to the inference that a lot of those places that are closed that used to be open, that they potentially could have just been abandoned. Do you think there was that, that people just abandoned like property that they owned and couldn't rent anymore? Or maybe maybe they couldn't pay the rent and it just reverted to whoever the original leaser was or something. Yeah. I have, I don't know that. Uh, I know that there's uh you know, there's a uh, certain way that the real estate market works in New York city. A lot of, you know, a lot of uh, vacant spots has been pretty common in the last uh, 10 years, but this is, this is different than that. This is a, a you know, the one more straw that broke the camel's back. Um, it, I don't know. It's just it. it was, it's so weird to be walking around Hell's Kitchen and and at dinner time and seeing all these tables available, right? Or uh, you know, I walked uh, uh, walking through Times Square and yeah, there are people there, but like that's there. It isn't like it was pre-COVID. It's it's so very different. I mean, don't you think COVID gave people a chance to reassess city living? I think that was something that was already on the sort of brink of happening and COVID just sort of pushed yeah. people there. Because, look, I've never been a fan of New York City. Like, I like the concept of a city. There are some cities I like, right? But I've never been a fan of New York City and I've never been a fan of Los Angeles. But I've never been a fan of New York City in specific because... I don't like the density of it. I, I, I don't like yeah. the density of it, especially because it, whenever I've seen it, it's always been under construction. It's always been dirty. And that experience you described of pushing through people, you know, in crowded streets, that's not enjoyable to me for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, like there's no comfort there. There's no safety there. You're always sort of concerned. And I know the thing about New York City versus Los Angeles is there was more of a mutual respect, although I question, you know, just how much of that actually was. It's just that L.A. is so extreme and not having that respect. But in New York City, it was kind of like we're all trying to get somewhere. So we leave each other alone more than it is respect. Uh, but it's also with New York City, I always got the impression that unless you were super wealthy, it was like you were living in a box and you were just a number. Because, yeah what was your life beyond these cramped quarters with lots of other anonymous people? And I guess some people take comfort in that, but I, I never enjoyed that aspect of it when I was there visiting. And yeah, you know, Rand would write about how spectacular it is that a city is there and the way it's been built up and everything. And that's true. Those marvels are there, but is that enough to say that city life in itself is superior and what I question is if people finally assess that, because to me, I not surprisingly like more of like a midsize city like Orlando, right, where I have I can go to downtown if I want, although I don't really want to. But then I have all the other stuff that's there. 
versus a, you know, a, a huge city that's super dense like New York City or L.A., which is a sprawling city. Because I really, you know, if New York has the boroughs, if we look at all the different, you know, Santa Monica, Pasadena, even Anaheim, Orange County, if we look at all of these, you know, Santa Ana, right, we look at all of these, they're really part of L.A. and it's just a sprawling, dense metropolis. I, I, I don't know how that yeah. is a better way of life. And I, I wonder if what you saw, William, was just people realizing that. I mean, the safety, the cost of living, what are you really paying for to live there? It seems to me, yeah. you know, I've heard it said that the youth like to live there. Young people like to live there because they feel like they're not missing out on anything. And that's where things happen. But especially now where technology is we can communicate from anywhere, don't things happen everywhere? Or now we're just more aware that things happen everywhere? Yeah, I think that, that that could be part of it. Um, you know, when you think about the, you know, I got to give credit where credit's due. The things that I like about New York City, the reasons I like visiting New York City, have a lot to do with the sort of cultural melting pot. And, you know, like, just as an example, I'm just walking around from the building that I was working in, um, went into this, like, mall area in one of the buildings. And all of a sudden, you go down the stairs and there it's it's a little Spain. Right. There's all these Spanish shops and like, you know, Spanish uh, uh, butchers with dried meats and aged meats and things like that. And then uh, bakers like uh, and they're all it's just all sort of a, a cultural tour. Right. You feel like you've, you've you're getting incredible, authentic, you know, Spanish food in this case. Um, and a there's just the aspect of discovery. Right. Uh, you know, I wasn't, didn't set out to look for little Spain, right. In New York, I just was walking around and that's just something you can do in New York. You know, you, you never know when you turn the corner, what's going to be there. Um, of course, sometimes it could be a mugger, right. Like you were saying, but, um, but you also get that genuine pieces of other culture, that cultural melt, melting pot. Right. Um, but even that it's a, a funny story of was in there, uh, in, in the little Spain area, saw some, some, they had some boxes of like some cookies or something. I was like, Oh, I'll bring these back. Uh, 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 my coworker and I were like, Oh, we'll bring these back to the meeting, uh, this afternoon. And, uh, they didn't, the, those boxes were just for display only. And I was like, Oh, that sounds more like LA than New York. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the cultural thing never appealed to me. And that was one of the things that you described, you know, going into like a building and then there's a whole mall in there. Like that was one of the things that never, appealed to me about new york city either like i like i go there and there's the mall and i can see it and it's a separate thing and it's not like every building i go in is its own little eco structure oh something about that just is i don't know very disconcerting to me very disconcerting to me Hmm. perhaps something to think about a little more yeah i'd love people uh in discord to uh Especially if you've lived in New York, because uh, you know I've I've only ever visited, I've not been a uh, New Yorker. Um, well, that's the other thing. What New York is full of New Yorkers, right? It's the same thing with Los Angeles. It's yeah. full of Angelinos. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're all coming right. to Florida. New York would be great without the New yeah. Yorkers. In there. <laughs> all right. Well, you know what else is changing a lot is Twitter is changing a lot, and we talked about it previously, right, with the whole Elon Elon Musk thing. But oh, this baby. past week, man, you want to talk about witness the farce? Like the, the the tweets that people who are against Elon Musk buying Twitter have have been posting have been insane. And I think they've been very revealing. And there's one in particular that really, really uh, stood out to me. It's a guy with a guy by with a blue check mark. I believe he's part of CNBC or something. But don't quote me on that. So he was quote tweeting Elon Musk. And Elon Musk's original tweet is for Twitter to deserve public trust. It must be politically neutral, which effectively means upsetting the far right and the far left equally. So this person, Medhi Hassan, quote tweets Musk and says the following. 
Put aside the simplistic nature of this claim for a moment and focus on the fact that the far right in America is a guy banned from Twitter for inciting violence and backed by Nazis in QAnon, while the far left is an old guy from Vermont who wants everyone to have free health care. Now, William, I want to put aside for a second the whole idea that, you know, he's saying Elon Musk's comment is simplistic and then his comment is simplistic. That's like the lowest level to dunk on this tweet on, right? The The thing that is really... Interesting to me, and the reason this tweet to me embodies what's been going on is how much this person is tipping his hand. Because there's either one of two things. This is either how he sees the world or how he wants other people to see the world. This portrayal of the quote-unquote far right as completely evil and the portrayal of the quote-unquote far left as completely good is completely disconnected from reality because first of all we've talked extensively on the show how this idea that the 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 goblin of the nazis and white supremacists in this country is largely made up that it's nowhere near as prevalent as we've been led to believe but then the other side of the coin is the idea that a guy from vermont can't be a bad person and that wanting free health care for everyone is some benign benevolent thing you know imagine if you said he wants everyone yeah. to have free cotton candy then it would be a lot more obvious oh, who's going to make the cotton candy how much is it going to cost we have time issues we have logistics issues we have resource issues we have um ability issues right who can make the best cotton candy the idea that with healthcare that doesn't count, all these doctors with their time and their expertise, right? All of the equipment, suddenly just everyone having free healthcare that that's not essentially theft. So it's very interesting to me the way this guy phrased all of this. It's and I, I saw this completely with, and again I'm not on Twitter, but people keep sending me stuff. All of these tweets people keep sending me is it. it it makes me glad I'm not on it anymore because it's very obvious it's a alternate reality and that it only reinforces the alternate reality, in my opinion, that the, the far left lives in. Yeah, I think uh, not to uh, not to make the ridiculous uh, Hitler argument, but uh, you, you can't help but do that, right? I mean, you could replace uh, the old guy from Vermont. You know, with the uh, with the uh, guy with a funny mustache who wants everyone to have free health care. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's. Yeah, it, it's always amazing. And I, I, you know, the religious right does it, too. But uh, the left seems to do it all the time when they try like they're trying to dunk on the other side and they end up just dunking on themselves i don't know well because here's the thing it's inherently dishonest and now i'm not i'm not defending you know the far right and saying i agree with everyone especially you know the more uh, religious side but i think a lot of the times they genuinely believe what they're saying i think they mean what they say whereas with the left it's all and i don't know if this is like you know this is the true believer you know puppeteer you know who's a true believer who's the puppeteer argument so i don't know which it is but they have clearly baked into their culture and i mean the culture of people who believe the same things the idea of manipulating image and information to make themselves seem like the good guy and that's the irony we've always said about gaslighting right they complain about gaslighting but who's gaslighting the most isn't this tweet an example of gaslighting yeah. Yeah. I mean, put aside the simplistic nature of the claim. Focus on the fact that the far right in America is a guy banned from Twitter. I mean, yeah. It's. Um, and by the way, the guy they say is far right, banned from Twitter, is obviously Trump. Trump was a Democrat for most of his life, wasn't he? Yeah. But yeah, but he's in the far he's right. He's far right. Far right. All right. And, you know, just to show what we're talking about, 
about how far the culture has uh, shifted. It's a couple of governmental stories that really stuck out to me this week is farcical. One was submitted in the, the Discord uh, by one of our, our listeners, one of the midsiders. Uh, the city of Shawnee in Kansas has banned co-living rentals. So essentially, if there are two people living in a rental together who are not related, that is illegal and they're not allowed to do this. I think it's four, but yes, four. four. I think it was four. Yep. Oh, four people living in the same house that are not related. I think I thought it was if any of those two people in that group of four were related, then all the four couldn't live together. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the way they made well, it. That's, I just remember the number four sticking out in my head because I was like, so that means you're going to have four bedrooms with locks on them? Um, but anyway. Well, and that, but that's uh, the insane for those part. Of you, that's the insane part of this yeah. is all the red tape on this. Because I, you know, there were a bunch of articles and I was trying to figure out why they were doing this. Well, essentially the reason they did this is companies are coming in now, buying up entire houses and just splitting them into a bunch of rooms and renting out the rooms and essentially turning everyone into college dorm life. And what I mean by that is there'll be a shared common area and then that you pay for the room. So, you know, you'll pay $300 for the room for the month rather than paying for the entire building. And they're outlawing this because of the, you know, the fact that these companies are controlling things and they don't like that. So I guess is this, uh, uh, couldn't we couch this as a pro Hispanic, uh, move, right? Cause you know, the, the meme in California at least is, uh, if a Hispanic family rents a house, there's going to be, you know, multiple generations in the house, right? Probably twice as many people as you would expect. Well, I mean, that's true. of But they're all, at least in their case, they're all, as well. yeah, that, that, but that's, that's very true. So, but I guess in that case, they're all related. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, perhaps yeah. it is. It's, isn't this more of a concern that why is this any of their business, how people are deciding to live and how people are deciding to rent? Yeah, are, are, are we going to have to have like uh, some sort of uh, declaration of relationship, like familial relationship before you move into a house now in Kansas? Well, you would think they would have to, right? Yeah. But again, why is and that the What is the problem? And, and yeah, exactly. And it's like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Because it sounds like uh, it's a good way to have uh, provide more housing, make things cheaper, right? Right, and that's what people are saying. That's the argument people are making is, well, if rent wasn't so high, um, then there this wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. They're saying the concerns have been raised at city meetings for months, beginning with the Planning Commission, then with the City Council. The Council tweaked the charges recommended by the Planning Commission. One such... Or, yeah, charges... One such change was to include the phrase co-living in the zoning rules rather than change a previously defined category to include the circumstances of co-living. The, the issue, like I told you, is this company. A, a lot of local cities have focused their efforts on regulating short-term rentals like Airbnbs. But this is the first regulation that calls out co-living by name. This is this. Yeah, there's a, it, I just that's probably common in Florida, too. But, you know, the city's banning or making it uh, impossible to uh, rent on Airbnb. But, well, and look, I get it somewhere like where I am, right? Like in Orlando, yeah. but like Shawnee. Are, th- are there this, yeah. this many people really going to Shawnee, Kansas on vacation that they need to worry about the Airbnb market? I mean, I guess maybe it's, they just don't have enough parking. <laughs> I guess it's outside of Kansas. No, they, they, Are that many people visiting Kansas City, and they're staying in Shawnee? So yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about my uh, Kansas tourism. It's just it, it, it's incredibly interesting to me that we are getting to this point of micromanaging what people are doing with their lives and their property. Yeah, in, in in Kansas, a red state, presumably. Yeah. All right, and then another major sort of governmental update in the same 
uh, sense of over-regulating and being over-informed is this week there was a board created under the Department of Homeland Security called the Disinformation Governance Board. Now, of course, they said there are only two, uh, two purposes for this right now. There's only two types of misinformation they're trying to handle. Russian cyber misinformation and election misinformation. Now, of course, we know that Ooh, those pesky Russians, the pesky Russians, right? They're they're not, you know, too busy with a war with Ukraine right now. Right. They're, they're still worried about cyber attacks on us. But both of these types to begin with, William, are things that the left is claiming are out there. They're the ones who are disproportionately claiming that. And of course, there was them disproportionately claiming there were problems with COVID information as well. Right. Well, this, we, we all know that, that uh, Hunter Biden's laptop was was not real. Right. right. That was that was Russian disinformation, election dis- disinformation. Oh, wait. right. Well, no. and that's the concern with all that of this. Right. Real. So first of all, there's the idea of what you just said, that there's been a repeated pattern of throughout history, by the way, people saying things are misinformation, which are true. And we've seen throughout history what happens when you give the government that power. But then they get this board in. And they're saying they're only being used to counter two things but what happens when they declare those two things done or what happens when they say oh actually there's greater threats well yeah i mean there's covid disinformation that needs to be fought and um you know there's uh you know inflation uh disinformation we all know inflation is caused by greedy capitalist people raising prices so um, you know, anyone who says otherwise is a, is uh, clearly spreading disinformation. So uh, I I think, uh, you know, after the successful implementation of this Russian differ- disinformation of the board, we should expand the board's powers to include uh, inflation uh, disinformation. One, you're joking, but I see a very real and distinct possibility that that actually happens. Yeah. And. I mean, people have been comparing it to the Ministry of Truth from 1984. And that's something that's so farcical about everything we've been seeing is this is stuff that's been written about before. It's been talked about before. Like, I almost feel like pedantic talking about it on this episode of the show. Like, we're not saying anything novel. Like, I try to, William, on the show, say things that are, you know, you're getting a little bit of a different perspective from us. Or hopefully I'm adding something new to the conversation. But here it's just sort of like, hello, is this not obvious? Why are we also okay with this? And perhaps that's the real farce here. Perhaps the real farce is the number of people that are okay with something like this and think that it's needed. And again, that goes back to the question of the the puppeteers versus the true believers. Perhaps there are that many true believers. And perhaps that's the farce. Maybe. I think uh, I think shining the light on it is is probably uh, the best service we can provide. Um, that being said, uh, my parents even were talking about this and saying how how uh, sort of evil this was. Um, and yeah, they pay attention to uh, to cable news. I'm sure my dad especially, but it. I think people are people are more aware of this than I think. Um, or some people are more aware of this, but I think you're right. Most people are either for it or haven't even heard of it. I think those are that, that those two camps make up the majority on, on this particular issue. And, you know, this whole misunderstanding of free speech and, uh, cause you said it connects back to the first story to the, to the Elon buying, uh, Twitter story. Um, this, uh, a misunderstanding of free speech is kind of um, a cultural. Uh, it, it's something that is very dangerous to the culture in general because people don't really understand their rights and and how they integrate into living well. And um, yeah, but once we have uh, the government ministry of truth, uh, that's definitely one of those things where there's. 
there's no alternative at that point, right? Once you start taking away your free speech, um, you just got to leave. Right. And, you know, this goes back to the idea of hate crimes where, you know, it, you can't distinguish intention. So, you know, when we're talking about Twitter, it was never an issue of it was never an issue of law. You know, they were allowed to run things as they, they were. It was an issue of morality. Why were they running things the way they were? Well, it's so we could avoid what's being created here. The disinformation governance board. Now you could run a conspiracy and say maybe they're creating this now because they've lost control of Twitter, so they need to do it through the disinformation board. Who are they? They are the boogeyman, right? So I'm not quite ready to jump on that bandwagon. But with the intentionality thing, the whole point is if you have a culture where you accept that disinformation is morally wrong always, you can't understand intention. So you get rid of the ability to make honest mistakes, to honestly believe something that's false because you were told by someone that you trusted or you read something that you trusted or because you made a wrong inference or drew a wrong conclusion. At that point, disinformation is bad and you are bad because of that. And that can only give people the, who are defining what disinformation is the power. Because they get to decide it. And, you know, the obviously the scary thing, William, is when they define information as disinformation. Then just simply being yeah. honest becomes a crime. And that's what people are talking about when they're talking about the ministry of truth. But... Well, I mean, the cli- just think of the climate yes. disinformation. Imagine if they do that. Imagine if they do that. I mean, Alex Epstein? He'd be done. To the gulag. Yeah. So we can talk about the extremeness of the... Ministry of Truth. But don't forget the soft tyranny either. The soft tyranny of you can't even make honest mistakes. You can't even make honest mistakes. I mean, that's something they, you know, Mm. on the the side of atheists, which tend to be or stereotypically have been part of the far left, love to do with people who are believers. They talk about empathy, but then they don't have empathy for those people who maybe the, the people who believe honestly believe it. Now, I would think they're wrong, William, but do you think I judge every person who believes in God as morally wrong and as a bad person? Yeah. No, you you, you can't take that uh, alone and judge them as immoral. Right. Even if though it's a major thing they believe, and that's not the way the world works, and that's what natural rights were supposed to be about was the idea that you have a right to live how you want, which implies you have a right to believe what you want or believe what you conclude to be true. That's an implication of natural rights. And we seem to be walking this line in our culture where we're trying to have natural rights, but also work against and control the things that lead to those natural rights and lead to the exercise of, I should say that better, that lead to the exercise of the natural rights. So we're trying to say you can exercise whatever natural rights you want as long as they're based on the social justice code of ethics. But those two things are at odds. All right, I think that's a good place to leave the life on the midside segment. Let's talk about some art now and see you know how the culture is influenced in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You're just going to go to themidside.com or themidside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, and in there, you will find the link to the invite code to join our Discord. Actually, a lot of the content from the art segment today comes from the Discord, so absolutely love when you join that and contribute because it makes things more interesting for all of us and mostly for you. To be honest, it benefits you the most. All right, I want to review an A24 movie, William. I know that may be shocking, 
but I saw an A24 Shocking. movie. And my basic summary of my review is this is probably the best case scenario coming out of an A24 movie. I think I'll probably see the most benevolent possible A24 movie I could. I saw everything everywhere all at once. Everything everywhere all at once is best described as the Asian multiverse movie. Do you remember the trailer for it, William? Yeah, I remember. Looked uh looked uh sci-fi interesting. And it was. It was sci-fi interesting. Now, I will say this, it starts out naturalistically where it, you know, it's an Asian immigrant family in the Los Angeles area running a laundromat, you know, dealing with the issues of like being an immigrant family and, you know, the daughter is gay and her grandfather's there and she wants to introduce her girlfriend to her grandfather, but the mom doesn't want to let her. The laundromat's struggling. They have to deal with an audit from the IRS. So there's all these sorts of very naturalistic things. But then they take that and, you know, it's shot in the typical A24 naturalistic way, but they take that and then they add in the sci-fi premise. The sci-fi premise is that there's a multiverse and in the alphaverse, the alphaverse was the verse where this Asian woman discovered, I should say Chinese, this Chinese woman discovered how to see and jump your consciousness between universes and use powers from them to complete tasks in your own universe, the one you're presently in. And because she did that, an ultimate evil was unleashed. And this woman from the universe we started watching in is the ultimate good that's going to be used to combat the ultimate evil. Now, the issues with this are, you can imagine, William, establishing all of that movie was a huge exposition dump. And oh man! once you get into the sci-fi part of the movie, the first, like, I don't even know how long it was, but it's just something happens and then there's an exposition dump. Something happens and then there's an exposition dump. And it just, it's not good writing. It's very clunky. Is it kind of cool from a sci-fi nerdy thing to see, like, oh, do something crazy, like, stick something up your butt and then push a Bluetooth and then now you can get a power from another universe. And that's something that happens in the movie. Um, yeah, it's kind There's of funny. There's in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Yeah, I can't review this without spoilers. So <laughs> it's impossible to review this without spoilers. But it's just an expedition, exposition dump. And then as the movie continues and you're going into the multiverse com- uh, concept, you know, as you've seen on a show like Rick and Morty, it just becomes more and more extreme. And it, much of this movie is very weird where like two rocks okay. are talking to each other and you're like, okay. Or there's one universe where everyone has hot dogs for fingers. And this is part of the movie. And at a certain point I was like, is this what it's like to be on drugs? <laughs> like legitimately. I was just thinking about that, just how you were describing it. Right, exactly. And I, I imagine maybe they were on drugs when they came up with this. But the movie's split into three parts. Everything, part two is everywhere, and then the end is all at once, and you get to all at once at the end, because the idea is she experiences everything first because she's learning how to jump between universes. But they use the the metaphor of a of a vase, right, of a vase. And as she experiences it more, the vase starts to break. So her consciousness can't keep track of what universe, and everything from all everywhere starts leaking in and then eventually the vase breaks and you learn the ultimate evil is just every version of her daughter from every universe because all of their consciousnesses have been melded into one and they're aware of everything everywhere all at once and because of that they have this sense of nihilism and there, you know, there's a bagel. They put everything on the bagel. Get it? Everything on the bagel. And they want to go into it because they don't see a point. You know, the, the girl doesn't see a point in living. I say they because it's every one of that girl at once, right? They want to go into the bagel because there's no point in living. So this movie is addressing something important. You know, it's addressing relativism. It's addressing nihilism that comes from relativism right the idea that if you look at every universe as equal 
you know, essentially, if the multiverse theory is correct in quantum physics, and it's just an endless link of possibilities, why is your universe the best, and why is it objectively moral, right? And they're they're essentially positing that the multiverse theory negates objective morality and objective truth. And they're saying, based on that, that nihilism is the only conclusion. And there are times when, in the answer they posit, that they're they're getting towards true wisdom, right? They're getting towards true wisdom, where, you know, the husband, who's played by the guy who was dated in the Goonies, which was kind of a shock to me, uh, you know, he tells his wife, because, you know, he seems like, you know, the, the clunky, stupid awkward husband he tells his wife you know you're literally fighting back against evil right now by trying to defeat the ultimate evil but he he says you know i do it by just trying to be good every day and trying to be a good person and trying to do the best i can and and loving you know myself and other people and then later in the movie the mother fights back against ever having needed the dad's love and she says I didn't need, you know, I don't need you to be proud of me because I'm proud of me. It's like, oh, that's a really cool, powerful moment. And there are moments like that throughout the movie where you're like, okay, this is awesome. The problem, though, is the ultimate, the ultimate resolution, while it's not the most A24 thing ever, right? The most A24 thing ever would be to go with the nihilism and be like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter. Right. It's the second best thing as far as that and what i mean by that is it's not good but it's just sort of the whole oh well once she becomes so the main character becomes just like her daughter where everything all at once everything everywhere all at once is experienced her pot breaks too so she is aware of all of existence, every multiverse, all at once at the same time. She shares the exact same experience as her daughter. They're the only two in the entire multiverse who do. So they choose to live in their original universe, not the alphaverse, you know, the original universe with the taxes and everything. You know, as the, the dad said, just I'm just happy to do laundry and taxes with you. Because all they were really looking for was a person who shared their experience. And that's what makes life worth living. So the movie, while it's ambitious, and dare I say it's probably the most romantic movie A24 has done, romantic in the you know romanticism sense, it just is that old cliche that we have seen throughout Hollywood for years. I mean, same thing, the same thing as the ending of Lost. Lost tries to answer all the big questions. And it does it in the same way. Well, it's about the people, right? Maybe it's just about the friends we made along the way. It's the same thing here. They're trying to answer the big existential questions, specifically the question about existential dread. And the way they answer it is the cliche answer of, oh, you just don't want to be alone. And I don't know. I just, I don't hold to that. So as good as... It seems like almost a cop-out sort of... That's how you, I felt. you try to say all these complex things, and then you're like, and it's all about the friends who made along the way. It's like, okay. Well, and that's exactly what it was. And I get what they're going for because they're trying to say, you know, everything is so big, you have to shrink it down. But they didn't do that, you know, in the parallelism of starting with the family and ending with the family. But it's kind of crappy to go, you know, the dad's like, you know, I like to try my hardest, and it's it's good enough for me just to do laundry and taxes with you. Like, that's a cool, profound statement, right? And especially in the theme of the movie and in the execution and the particulars of the movie. And then her standing up to her dad and saying, hey, I don't need you to be proud of me. I'm proud of me. That's a cool moment. But then it's undermined by the ending of just, oh, you know, it's just about me and my daughter loving each other. So, yeah, cop out is a good way of saying it. And that knocks it down a lot for me. So... As good as this is, and as complimentary of it is, and, you know, I wouldn't say I hated this because it's an A24 movie. I don't think this is hateable. I think it was enjoyable to watch. It was an interesting experience, but I can't give it a super high rating. So it's a, uh, it's very much on the line of bro and bromantic. It's right on the line there. I can't give it full bromantic because of as everything I just said, but 
you know, there are worse movies you can watch this year. And honestly, there haven't been a lot of good movies that have come out this year. So as far as everything I've seen, it's near the top. But that doesn't nice. really say much because, I mean, William, name me a good movie you've seen that's come out this year. I don't know. Right. So Cyrano was good, right? I think that's the best movie so far this year. And then, you know, the massive weight, the unbearable weight of massive talent was also really good. So mm-hmm. there's been a couple things, but hopefully more gets released as we go later on. Yeah. And let's talk about those potential things, right? We got trailer takedown coming up here. I like to put the trailers into the Discord during the weekend. So if you want to, you know, get an idea of what we're going to talk about on the episode, in the episode, you can do it. You can watch in whatever order you want. You can watch it before the episode, watch it after the episode, or alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Watcher was submitted by Midsider Cody in the Discord. It is about a couple who moves into a skyscraper in a city, and the woman, the girlfriend, I assume girlfriend, it might have been wife, I don't know, sees somebody watching from the window across the way, somebody just standing there. And then as she starts to go out into the city, she gets the sense she's being followed. Um, I will say that this trailer execution wise, as far as the directing and the music and the acting was very tense. There was a lot of suspense. So my critique of this is not really based upon the technical skills. It's completely about the content of this. This is like if somebody took the feminist paranoia that men are always out to get women and turned it into a movie. And I honestly have no interest in watching this. This is obviously a feminist screed and no tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this seemed overwrought. The like there's a way in which I think this could you you could have this be an interesting sort of suspense thriller. But uh, at least the way the trailer presents it, I completely agree with you. This just seems like. Uh, hashtag believe all women sort of uh, thing, right? Like the the husband being not interested or boyfriend, I don't know, husband, whatever, being not interested in, you know, in trying to say, oh, you're just imagining it or, you know, or maybe, you know, he's staring back at someone who's staring at him. And it's, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, overwrought is the thing that uh, comes to my mind. And yeah, this looks boring. So tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Fire Island is a Hulu movie that's apparently based on Pride and Prejudice. In it, a bunch of gay guys go to an island called Fire Island. Get it? Ha ha. And there's a giant party and people try to find connections. I don't look, William, I want to know what you have to say about this. I almost don't feel like hugging or tackling this because... This is something I do not understand. This seems to me like the type of movie they're trying to guilt straight people into watching. Like, I can understand this being like a small budget movie made for a specific audience. But the fact that this is obviously has got high production value and is given a high quality trailer and is being released by Hulu and trying to be pushed to a mass market. I do not understand it is literally just a movie about gay guys hooking up with each other and having fun, which cool, I guess, if you want to watch that. But the majority of the culture is not gay. So I don't see how there is a market for what? this movie. I don't. I, I just I don't get it. And this happens often where I go, how is there a market for that movie? Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, all I could think when watching this was uh, this is basically uh, gay rich Asians, is the movie. So, the Crazy Rich Asians is the gay sequel. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know how... I, just watching it, it, look, it just seems like a string of uh, stereotypes. And... Uh, 
I don't know. I I'm trying to think who is this for, and this has got to be for uh, straight women and the campy uh, uh, gays. That's that's all it can be for. Um, sure, uh, lots of shirtless dudes. I guess that might make it watchable to some people. Uh, people in very good shape. Um, by the way, if it, maybe maybe in Hollywood, but uh, most parties uh, uh, in the gay community, you will have a lot of people in shape. But th- it's not going to be a hundred percent. Everyone wearing uh, gym bodies, uh, not in America at least. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know that there's much more to say about it. I, I wish I had something more profound to say because it just looks stupid. So. And, and there's nothing wrong with a campy gay movie, but I don't know. Like it, it, it comes back to like, what's the point? If, right. Is it is it supposed to be fun? Okay, cool. Uh, but then why this crazy sort of like racism? Sort of like we're better than you sort of thing. Like what is that? What is the theme we're trying to go for here? Is it just like gay is cool? I don't know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tackle. Tackle. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying is, yeah, a campy gay movie can be cool and it can maybe appeal to the, the mainstream, but you got to give something that the mainstream is going to care about. And I just don't see why a broad audience would care about this specific movie at all. That's like you said, there's nothing to hook. There's nothing that applies outside whatever they're trying to show. Most people don't yeah. care about that. It'd be like making a movie about objectivists for objectivists that speaks completely in objectivist jargon and then trying to market it to the mainstream. Who would it be for? Who would watch it? Yeah. Third trailer. Machination is a small budget, small scale horror movie about a woman who's so terrified of germs in the middle of a pandemic that she freaks out over everything as she's in her apartment trying to keep everything that comes in and out of it clean. Uh, Regardless of the low budget production value here, I appreciate that someone's trying to talk about this artistically. However, this is not the way to do it. I just don't want to see a crazy person being crazy and overdoing this paranoia with, again, I think this fits perfectly with what you said about the last movie, William. There's no broader scope. There's no broader point to this besides showing the horror of someone who's crazy acting crazy. And it is horrific. Watching this is sort of like, this is disgusting. And it's not disgusting like she's disgusting to look at or it's shot in a naturalistic way. It's just sort of like, it's disgusting that somebody acted like this. And that I have no desire to see that for an entire movie. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, everything I said about the last movie definitely applies to this movie. What's the What's the point here? Um, are we supposed to draw? What's the lesson we're supposed to learn, or the theme that we're supposed to feel? Uh, no, I don't know. Is it just the disgust? Is that the Is it the spectacle of the dis- disgust? I don't know. But this doesn't look any fun uh, to watch or any sort of value at all. So tackle. tackle. Final trailer. The Black Phone is a horror movie where a young kid is kidnapped and put into a room with a old school phone. I think it's a rotary phone. I don't even know. It's a black phone on the wall and it's not plugged in or anything. Right. So it's not a cell phone. Right. It's a a landline phone. And a guy who the guy who kidnapped him comes in and taunts him wearing a mask. And it's a really creepy mask. And then there are also things about like, oh, no, sorry. The phone isn't plugged in, but it starts ringing and people start talking to him. And then they also show his sister having like visions and stuff. Now, here's the thing. This whole description, I'm sure, sounds ridiculous to you. And it sounds ridiculous to me. And I'm watching the trailer and I'm going, this is ridiculous. But I have to say the execution of this on a technical means, the acting by Ethan Hawke as the bad guy, the score... The, the mood that is done here, the set design, the cinematography is excellent. And I just want to know, 
how the fuck these two things reconcile. And I swear they're very intentionally because how does a story about this guy who kidnaps kids and murder them reconcile with these supernatural elements? And there was actually a sort of a discussion in the discord about that. And a couple of midsiders were talking to each other about, um, you know, Patrick said, what do you say? Oh yeah. I guess I should dislike the supernatural aspect of the black phone, but I'd say it's neither here nor there. He says, I definitely like the setting. So he's a similar reaction to me, except I'm more curious about the supernatural. And then midsider Cody said, why wouldn't you like the supernatural elements of the black phone? And it's exactly because it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of it. It's sort of like if you took the purge, like this movie seems to have a feeling of the purge and you took the realism of the purge and you added supernatural elements and you're like, why? Why did you do this? So for me, simply based on the quality and wanting to understand why they're doing what they're doing with this movie, I will see this movie at some point because I'm so intrigued by the supernatural with this sort of like, why is this guy... Why is this guy wearing a mask that looks like that? I get that he's wearing a mask because he doesn't want the kid to see him. But at the same time, if he's just going to kill the kid, why does it matter if the kid sees his face? Is he afraid the kid might get away? It, is he hoping the kid gets away? Because at the beginning of the trailer, he says something like, you shouldn't have answered the phone. I was considering letting you go. So is, there's something else going on in this movie. I want to know what it is. So I guess you could say the trailer succeeded. It succeeded. Hug. Netflix and Hug. Is it a Netflix movie? So, uh, well, you said you would get to it someday. Oh, okay. So All right. Fair enough. Figured it, would, it was going to be a streaming, not going, not rushing it's out a, to the Look, theater. it depends on what's in theaters. Like, there are some, like, I rank them in my head, right? There are some movies where it's like, well, if there's nothing else that weekend, I'll see it. But if mm. there are other things, it's low on the priority list. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the mask definitely gives me Donnie Darko vibes. So just like Donnie Darko, I'll say that the, uh, the person in the mask is actually the kid. So there's your, uh, there's your prediction. God damn it. That makes um, too much sense. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I, you could already tell by me seeing through some, some parts of this movie that no, I, 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 this doesn't look very, uh, appealing to me in the, uh, again, we get back to the plot theme. Um, yeah, you know, what are we really? What, what's the uh, what's the overarching thing about this that draws you in? And I think it's just more of the um, spectacle aspects, right? Like you said, the set design, the acting, those sort of things look all really good. Um, but it's it seems like it's a wasted premise, right? Because this kind of premise could be interesting with maybe a different setting or something i don't know like it, it it just it it's it's like uh almost uh fingernails on a chalkboard right there's 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 something just grating about the those elements just not fitting together maybe they do fit together though right maybe the film somehow achieves that but at least in the trailer it just it doesn't it seems like uh it seems like we're jumping back and forth between almost two different worlds so uh, but I guess I would say, unlike you, I am forced to tackle this. So tackle. Tackle. Yeah, the, the predestination okay. paradox or the time element you describe is perhaps predictable, but it actually sort of makes it interesting because why then did he kill the other kids first? And how was that related yeah. to you know him kidnapping himself? And maybe they're... You know, I read something like the kids are calling him or something trying to save his life. I think that was what the description of the phone was. So how does this all play together? I still, even though I think what you said makes sense, I think there are still, that's a plot mechanic. There's yeah. still a lot of questions about how does that reconcile thematically that I would like to give it or a Or if it, if, I would say if. It reconciles thematically. Well, no, I know, but that's the risk you take, right? That's the risk you take seeing something like this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm willing to take that risk for you. No, mainly for me, but for you, midsiders. Well, did let, let's see. Did I tackle all of them? Yeah, I believe I did. Yeah. I think out of all of these, I think that the black phone would be the one I would want to watch. 
um, if I were forced to. Um, and you're gay, so what does that say about fire iron? Yeah. Well, but I don't like gay people, so... <laughs> um, yeah, so that won't work. Fire Island, no, much. I don't match. No, I think it would be the black phone. So. Okay, William, that brings us to the end of the episode. What did we learn this trip? Whew. Well, I learned that uh, I, at several times in my life, I have uh, been guilty of uh, co-living. Justin, what about you? Uh, so I... Uh... Learned that Fire Island is a real place. A midsider <laughs> who's real listening gaze? in live sent me a message and said that Fire Island is a real place and is known for having a large gay population. It is off of Long Island. It's near Long Island. So I hate that movie even more now. Oh, man. It's just a tourist movie. I puts it in context. All right, I want to thank you all for listening to this show. If it wasn't for you, it would just be me talking in the corner like a crazy person in the closet, but I still am that. I just feel a little less crazy because of you. If you want to support the show, you can do so through the midside.com slash store or, you know, the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals. That is how we keep the lights on. That's how we keep this thing going. That and just pure grit and determination when William decides to wake up. Uh, you can just tell a friend about the show. Thank you. Please have a good day. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emozeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a disinformation free day. I'm glad the dogs waited till the end of the show to start barking continuously. Yeah, that only happened once. It's not a big deal. You know, adds, <laughs> adds some realism to the show. Yeah. Well, you know, this uh, this uh, program is uh, recorded in front of a live studio audience of animals. Would have been funnier if you said of dogs, but yes. Well, hey, your cat joins the show sometimes. Oh, she, well, that was River. Echo never joins the show, but Echo is on the floor next to me right now. <laughs> R.I.P. River. <laughs>